Right, um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. We got um, we got a fun, a fun little passage. We're going to do. We're actually we're doing two verses, two little verses tonight, but they're uh, they're really good. Can you guys pray with me, Father? We we just come before you, and we just want to stop as a community. We want to thank you for the Ongs. Father, we want to thank you for that family. We want to thank you for the way in which you're uh, just so powerfully moving through them. And Father, we thank you, yeah, for the honour it is to be able to even have them tonight. Father, I want to thank you that you are just present with us, that you never leave us. And Father, as we look at your word tonight and as we look at this idea of purpose, Father, I want to pray that, that you would just speak really powerfully into our hearts. And probably a better way to frame that would be that we would have hearts that are open to the way in which you want to speak to us. So Father, I want to pray that you would humble us, um, excite us for your word, excite us just for you, excite us for relationship with you. And Father, just free us of the stuff that we carry that can weigh us down. In your name, amen. All right, um, Bol talked about creation last week, and I want to, I want to start by looking at creation. Um, there are... We can believe one or two things when it comes to creation. So the first thing that we can believe, and this is a, a logical view that um, a lot of the world believes, is that um, basically two atoms clashed together at some point, um, and, and that by chance these two atoms came together, they clashed in exactly the right way, and the world was created. Um, and then out of that, there was all this evolution that came about, and now in 2018, um, we sit here with all the intricacies of the world, with all the complexities and the details, um, but... At the very heart of it was this idea that it was complete chance, that it was random, um, that it came together. And so there's this one idea, this one understanding that's very prevalent um, in our society that the world at a, like fundamentally at its core um, was created by chance. And therefore, we as people were created completely by chance um, with no higher purpose, with no higher being, that we are just um, objects of chaos. Um, and so that's one one understanding of what, the way in which the world was created. Um, we know and we believe in something radically different, and we believe that the world was purposed um, into existence. Uh, in Genesis, we read that God breathed um, creation into existence. In Hebrews 11, verse 3, we read and, and just hear these first two words, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Um, and so we understand that by reading scripture and by reading Genesis, we understand throughout the whole narrative of of, of, um, of the Bible that we have this creation story where God um, purposefully created us. He breathed the world into existence. He spoke the world into existence. And there was a deep purpose in the way in which he did that. Um, there is this... This word, and Dan's already used it tonight, this word chaos. Um, and so we need to understand that when we open scripture up, when we open the New Testament up, um, we are opening up into the world of, of, of Jewish culture. Um, and so there are things for us that we need to do, to work hard at so that we understand um, the scriptures like they were meant to be understood. We understand, we're able to understand the stories um, in the context of which they were understood. And so I want to go through this word chaos because it's a word that we don't use to 
through March. But in a Jewish understanding, the word chaos, they like they just got it. Um, and so this is what chaos is. Um, chaos occurs really simply when God is removed from a situation. Um, one way to put chaos is this idea you can link it with confusion. So where there is confusion, chaos is reigning, whether that's in us personally or whether that's in society as a whole. Um, chaos is cold, it is distant, it is harsh. And so if you look at the creation story, we are reading a story where God really simply takes what is chaos and he takes what is confusion and he puts order around it. He takes what is dark and he, he creates light. Um, he takes the waters and he holds them at bay um, and he creates the land. And so there's this idea, this Jewish understanding where um, chaos is this idea where God is reigning in the confusion. Um, but there is confusion in the world. And so the Genesis account of creation is that God takes the confusion and he gives it form. So if you look at the creation account and you put God into the creation account, um, we're told uh, in... So who went to Pacific Hills? Really really quickly. All right. Dr. Boyce, principal of Pacific Hills, has this thing. And it was so annoying in high school, like so annoying. He'd ask you all the time, how are you? Good. And? No one's good but God. He must have repeated that a billion times. He's still going. He's still doing it. Um, the guy's an absolute legend, but this was his thing. And you know what? This week I've been learning that I knew he was always right, but gee, he was just annoying. Um, but I've been learning just how profound like it was. And so we're, we're told in Luke 18 verse 19, um, who is good? And Jesus replies, only God is truly good. Now, if you look at creation, what are we told on the sixth day? After God has created everything, it says God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And it's this really simple idea. It's this really simple link that God puts himself into creation. God himself invests himself into the creation of the world and therefore he's able to turn around and say it was good. Where there was nothing, God then puts himself into it and there is beauty and creativity and splendor um, and there is creation, there is us. We have a creation account where it is good and it is good because God throws himself into it. Um, God purposes creation into being. This is a really important idea. It's not by chance. God purposes creation into being. It's not by luck. His mouth speaks it into creation. There is no chance about it. Um, our God, our creator, the king of the universe, purposes um, the world into existence. And we know because we know God that it was personal. There was nothing cold about it. There was nothing distant about this idea of creation. It was deeply personal. So if we go back to this Jewish understanding of chaos, um, there's a really uh, cool line of thinking that's been really helpful for me. But one of the ideas for the Jews was that chaos, so this idea of confusion, this idea where God wasn't, um, um, was reflected in the waters. So when we read in scriptures and we read about the lakes and the rivers, we read about big bodies of ocean, um, the Jewish understanding, as soon as they heard this, they knew that what they were talking about was this idea of chaos. This is where demons lived. This is where Leviathan, um, a huge beast that would bring up chaos, and his whole job was to stir up chaos and remove and to try and remove everything that was good and everything that was God. Um, this is where Leviathan lived. Um, the water reflected chaos. 
us. And so if you have this understanding that Jews, like you, like in, in ancient times, Jesus tells a story about a body of water. This is what the Jews are thinking. This is what's in their head. For us, that's not what goes on in our head. But if you look at some of the stories throughout scripture with this lens that, that the waters represent chaos for a Jew, and that's what Jesus is talking about, it kind of changes a lot of the stories that we might have heard in, say, kids' ministry growing up, and it kind of puts a bit more depth behind them. Um, if you think about the flood, if you think about what the idea of the flood, the flood really simply was the removal um, of the land. It was this idea where the waters rose up and chaos was able, God actually allowed the the the, um, the walls that hold the waters at bay, he actually removed them. And it's a full-on story. But he removes them and allows chaos to go out throughout the world. I'm going to read a few passages for us and they're... Um, they're really, really good passages. They're really fun. In in Matthew five, um, we uh, we read this we read this story. Uh, sorry, in Mark five, we read this story that a lot of us would have read. But I've been been really enjoying it. I'm going to read it all to us. So it's Mark five, um, verse verse thirteen. I'm going to start from verse one. It says this. They went across the lake to the region of the um, Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replies, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send send them out of the area. So if you're, if you're not following along, here is a man who's possessed um, by a demon, and he's possessed by many demons. In verse 11, it goes on. It says, A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the whole town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told um, told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then their people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell all the people how much Jesus had done for him, and the people were amazed. Um, We could spend, like, honestly a month on that and I'm going to spend one minute, um, go away, read it, um, explore this text. It's a powerful one. Um, but do you notice what happens when Jesus sends the demons out of the man, when he gives them permission to leave the man? They jump into the pigs, the nearby pigs, and the pigs go where? 
they run straight for the water. And so it's this, there's, there's something deeper that is going on in this story. There's something deeper than just this physical transaction where Jesus is taking the demons out of this man. He's liberating and freeing them, um, so that he can, he can be free. He, he is showing that he's ushering in the kingdom of God. And what he is doing is coming to take away the chaos that is in this world, to take away the suffering and the sin that is going on in this world, and he wants to take, to put that back in its rightful place, which is back into the chaos. He has come as light in the darkness. And so in this story, we read that Jesus frees and liberates this man by taking what, where the water has encroached too much and where the water has um, entered and ruined a man's life. Jesus has come and taken those, the demons out of him and then sent them back to where they belong, back into the chaos. Um, when we read, say, Matthew 8, verse 23, we read this, this story of the calming of the seas. And it says this, Then he got into the, the boat and the disciples followed him. And without warning, a furious storm came up over the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Their response, they're not, um, they're not looking just at what is going on in the physical. Jesus is calming the waves. He's calming the storm. With a word, he's able to do that. And there is this physical transaction where people saw his miracles and they were amazed, but there is something so much deeper that Jesus is representing here. He is able to calm the chaos where the anxieties rise, where the chaos rises, where the confusion rises, these stories are telling us that Jesus is in complete control over them. When the waves rise, Jesus with a word can calm them. We like to think of the darkness and all the power it has. We like to think of the confusion in this world. And we think about if you, um, our minds can be really active in, in, in the ways in which we think about some of the, the darkest parts of this world and some of the darkest things that this world, um, that, that are in this world. But here Jesus is really simply saying that he has complete mastery over everything. He has complete control, complete authority. And the, even, and, and the response of the people in his boat, the, the response of his disciples, even the waves and the wind obey him. Even the chaos obeys him. In Matthew 14, verse 22, we read Jesus walk on water. Um, and it's this beautiful passage where Jesus walks out to his disciples and he is walking over Leviathan. He is walking over the chaos. And what he does in that moment is he teaches Peter to do the same. He teaches one of his disciples to get out of the boat and by faith to walk with him over the chaos, over the confusion. And there's this bigger picture that's going on. In Matthew 4 verse 19, we're told that we are to be fishers of men. Jesus says to his disciples, come and follow me, I will make you fishers of men. It's this really simple idea that our job as followers of Jesus in this life, as missionaries in this life, is to play a role in ushering in the kingdom of God. And the way in which we do that is to help people out of the chaos, out of the confusion, out of the anxiety, the fear and the pain that this life they can live in, and into a new way of life, into the land, into the light, 
into a path in which they follow, um, in which they follow their creator, in which they follow Jesus. And so one of the things that um, the Jews understood was they were literally taking people out of the chaos. They were playing a role in taking people out of the chaos. We believe from the outset in a God of purpose. We believe in a God who spoke our creation into being and he did that with a person, like deeply, deeply personal lens. We believe that by faith the world was created by him. We believe that by faith the cross is uh, um, one of the most beautiful examples of God's love. We believe by faith that he is present with us now and we believe by faith that he is sovereign over the chaos, which means he is sovereign over anxiety, he is sovereign over depression and sickness and evil and death. Where the waters are trying to spread, God is sovereign over them. Um, where the chaos is trying to spread, God is sovereign over them. Um, where the lies are trying to spread in your mind, the gospel in its very nature is that God is sovereign over those things. There is nothing in this life, there is no chaos, no confusion that can reign in your life if you allow God into your life to stop the waters from spreading. And so we believe in this creation account and, and in some ways it's so simple and in some ways that's a really complex understanding of, of the gospel. Um, but we believe in this creation account that, um, that is purposeful. But the question is, do we actually like believe, um, in a God that is purposeful in our everyday? So I've, I've heard two stories this week that have just been so helpful for me in reminding me. And the first was Jeno, and he was sharing the story. We were just talking, and he was just telling me the most simple everyday story. But he was telling me how he was coming to Dural, and I'm sure I'll get some of the little details wrong. Sorry, Gagey. Um, but he was telling me how he was coming to Dural, and, um, and instead of going the normal way, going around the lights, coming down as you would, he decided to go through the woolly shopping um car park and just go the back way, um, which is a, a little bit of a strange way to come. And um, and as he was driving down, he saw one of his mates who he hadn't seen in a long, long time, and he felt urged to just stop and just spend time with him. And so he spends half an hour with this guy just talking and just, um, yeah, just doing life with a guy that he hadn't seen in a long time. And the thing that got me was um, we do that sort of stuff all the time. We have these moments of like chance encounters. But the thing is, I don't believe in chance and I don't believe in luck. And I don't think scripture at any point believes in luck. What it believes in is purpose. And the way that I love that Jeno told this story was that he was meant to turn left. He was meant to go down this back way and God helped him to go down this back way. Um, and his eyes were open enough to have this simple conversation where he was able to bless someone in the everyday. The question for us is that do we believe that our lives are chaos, that everything is by chance, that when we go to work, when we when we get up, we go to work, we go through our rhythms and our habits, when we come across the people we come across, are we believing that these things are just happening by chance and we actually don't put any thought into them whatsoever, or are we believing that these are purposeful encounters, that every person that we are encountering, God is actually deliberately putting in front of us because he knows that we are people who can bring order to the chaos. We are people who can take people out of the anxiety, who can help relieve anxiety, who can help relieve depression. We are people who um, have the deepest, most profound answer in the world because we carry God within us. We carry the spirit within us. And like Joe said so, so powerfully, it has nothing to do with us. Absolutely nothing. We know our own brokenness. We know our own weakness. It has nothing to do with us. But what 
the Ongs have done, what we are called to do on a daily basis is make ourselves available and by faith choose to believe that we are purposed. We are purposed in the places in which we work, in the families in which we are in, in the direction in which we travel in our car. And if you have been on Facebook um, this week, you would have seen Simo's, you would have read Simo's um, Facebook post. And it was a good one. It was a really good one. Um, and it was a five-pager. He warned us, five-pager, little pages, but five pages nonetheless. Um, but I just couldn't, I just, I re- I've read that three or four times and just, it's been really, really um, encouraging for me. But Simo's story is a really simple one. Um, he saw this guy who he just had these eyes open who he saw was lonely. And he went out of his way to bless this guy over several um, encounters to um, bless him financially, to offer him a drink from Woolies. And just these really simple moments where Simo's eyes were open to a deeper purpose, where it wasn't chance that he was walking past this guy. It wasn't chance that he saw this guy and, and, and the spirit tugged on him and said, nah, he's lonely. Like, go and bless him. Simo's eyes were opened in this moment to an encounter where he was able to realize he was purposed for that moment. And so one of the things that I want to encourage us in really, really simply is that we are created deeply purposed. We are created with a purpose. God, um, in his um, perfection, in his love, in his grace, didn't make any of us by chance. He deeply purposed us into existence. Um, and that then affects our complete worldview. It affects how we look at creation. It affects how we answer the deepest questions in this life. But it also affects the minute details. And what I loved when Chrissy shared was that we have to learn this stuff. We have to learn how to see with eyes of faith. It doesn't happen naturally all the time. There are times where we learn from our mistakes. There are times where we yell at a boss and we walk away going, what happened? But then two years later, we're different people because we've learned from it because we are people of faith. Um, they're really simple stories, but if we understand that in this life, we have a deep, deep purpose, it absolutely changes everything because it, what it does is recognize that we are not products of, of chaos. We are products of a personal creator. So we're going to look at two verses tonight. We're going to look at them reasonably quickly. Um, from Psalm 139, we're doing this series on identity. And so to understand our identity, we have to realize that our identity completely comes from our creator. We live in a time where we want to separate those things and we want to um, self-help books are off the charts and um, the ways in which we can help ourselves in our culture is just the most prevalent industry. Um but we know that if we're going to look at our identity, we have to look at our creator's identity. We have to look at where we've actually come from. And so we're going to look at two verses, and they're powerful, powerful verses. And if you were here in January, Kerry Herker shared a testimony on these verses, and it was a powerful, powerful testimony. Psalm 139, verse 13 reads this, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Um, in counseling, one of these, one of the, the things that's really prevalent these days is looking at this idea of family of origin. So that really simply is looking at, um, we all, we're all, we have quirks, we have traits, we have stuff in our lives where we react to stuff differently than other people. Um, when you get married, um, or if you are married, you realize that the other person that you, you're with, like they're carrying some stuff and they do things a little bit differently than, than what is normal for you. And all of us have this. We've all got quirks, we've all got stuff. 
stuff. We all carry really funny stuff. We also carry baggage in that. And so we have this family of origin where our moms and dads have had a real big effect on us. Um, that can be really positive, but that can also be really, really negative. You might have grown up in the best family ever. Um, and they're still going to teach you quirks and really funny odd things, but that might, like your family of origin might have been the most supportive family of origin in the world. You might have grown up in a family that was really distant, really broken, really hurting, and so you're going to carry in your family of origin some stuff that is going to affect you. It's going to make you respond in different ways. It might have put some hurt in your life. And so this idea in counselling is that looking at our family of origin, looking at where we've come from is really, really important in looking forward and looking at healing. Um I want to start like by looking at this verse and just remembering that we are people of God. Um, we are sons and daughters of God. And so our family of origin, although we have mums and dads, although we might have grandparents, we might have family around us that have played a huge part in our lives, we need to take a step further and re- realize and remember that our family of origin is God. He knit us together. He purposed us. In verse 13, we're reading, He created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. There is no detail about us that is created by chance. Nothing. There is no flaw. There is is nothing in us that is created by chance. We're told that we're um, carrying the image of God. We were knit together in our mother's womb. He knows our inmost being. Chaos is cold. It is distant. But God is personal, deeply, deeply relational. He knows you so much more than you know yourself. He knows every intricacy of our lives, every little detail. He knows it because he created it. He put it together. He knit us together in our mother's womb. We live in a time where everyone is searching for purpose. Everyone's searching for meaning. Everyone is searching for happiness. Whether you're a 14-year-old, whether you're a 40-year-old, whether you're a 70-year-old, our culture is fascinating this, fascinated with this idea of searching for meaning. People are changing jobs, careers, degrees. People change relationship like like it means absolutely nothing. You think about the covenant of marriage in our society. You think about the percentages of how high divorce is outside of the church and guess what, inside of the church. And we realize that we are looking for all this, like, all this happiness, all this fulfillment, all this meaning, but we keep looking for it in the wrong stuff. We spend billions of dollars a year searching for pleasure, for happiness, for meaning. Most of this is triggered by our search for meaning um, and in 2018, our search for happiness, which is found in the root idea that we don't know who we are and we therefore don't know what our purpose is. I've been watching a lot of Lion King lately. Mufasa has been like, he's been speaking some wisdom into me. He says to Simba, you have forgotten who you are and therefore have forgotten me. Now we know that's, yeah, that's a pretty good line, but if you flip it, You have forgotten me and therefore you have forgotten who you are. We live in a society that is, by its very nature, chaotic. There is confusion everywhere. There is confusion about purpose. There is confusion about identity. There is confusion about sexuality. There is confusion about happiness. We live in a culture where confusion is reigning, where chaos is reigning. And we can easily get sucked into that. We can easily get pulled into that. And what God is saying to us, what we're being reminded by Scripture, it's probably about 4,000 years old, is that the, the inmost part of us, we have been created and purposed by a God who is deeply personal, by a God who loves us infinitely more than we can understand love in our own context. 
Who are we? Really simply, we are God's children. We are his sons and we are his daughters. And that is all we need. That is fundamentally all we need in this life. Verse 14, I'm going to finish on this verse. In verse 14, David goes on to say, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are wonderfully made. David's writing this, what, 3,000, 4,000 years ago? Science has progressed a little bit since David's time. David is looking at creation. He's looking at humanity. He's looking at himself, and he is sitting there going, I praise you, God, really simply because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. There are intricacies about my life and about my body that are just beautiful beyond understanding. We know the complexity of the human body. We know the complexity of the brain. We know the complexity of DNA. We know the complexity of our blood, of our the way in which our bodies can heal ourselves. The knowledge in which we have compared to David 4,000 years ago is ridiculous. David's response at looking at the intricacies of God's creation is to turn and just praise God. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And one of the questions I want, want to like, give us is, with all the knowledge that we have, does that help us to praise God anymore? The fact that we know the human body so much more intricately than David, the fact that we can look up to the stars and know um, a smaller glimpse, or a bigger glimpse, but still a really smaller glimpse, small glimpse of what David was able to see, the way that we can look through a telescope and see the planets and see um, the, the, the wonders of God's creation in the universe, has all this knowledge actually helped us to praise God more? Or has it in many ways sometimes confused us? Because it's not that knowledge in itself is bad. Knowledge is ridiculously good. God is very pro-knowledge. But we don't worship God by knowledge. We worship God by faith. And what David is saying here really simply is that by faith, I'm going to worship you, God, because I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. With all the knowledge that we have, we need to be people of faith. When we look at the universe by faith, if we look at it through the right lens and we look at it the lens through faith, then we are able to look at the universe and all the intricacies of this world and go, God, you are magnificent. We're able to look at our bodies. We are able to look at the people around us and go, God, you are beautiful. But if we try and do that by simply knowledge, if we try and do that by simply understanding, it actually doesn't point to God in any way. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Spurgeon says, those who praise God are those who please God. And we praise God by faith. We praise God really simply by trusting in him. Dan reminded us tonight this idea of praising God passionately. We have so much to be thankful for. And we're going to be people who live in habits and cultures where our daily rhythms are ones of praise. Because if our daily rhythms are ones of praise, when we come together as a community, like we will praise passionately. Who's responsible for like leading a culture of praise in this place? Like who is it? Shout, shout out some names. Who's responsible for leading a culture of praise in this place? So good. Yes, us. The Spirit is the one who's going to initiate that. But so often we want to look to a dam. We want to look to a ray ray. We want to look to our worship leaders to initiate praise. 
It is our responsibility as a body. And what, what David is saying here, what God is saying here is, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We have so much to be thankful for. And one of the things that Spurgeon is talking about is this idea that when we praise God, we allow God to usher in his kingdom in every aspect of our lives. When chaos, what, what praise does is it ushers in the kingdom of God and that puts chaos in its rightful place. The waters are forced to rescind. Jesus walks on our anxiety. He calms our fears with a word. He throws our lies into the ocean where they belong. When we praise, we usher in the kingdom of heaven. And it's the most beautiful thing to do that as an individual, but it is like the clearest reflection of heaven that I'm a part of when we do that as a community. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In 2018, we live in a time where we look in the mirror and our culture, we like in our culture, we don't like who we see. And most marketing is focused on this idea of just improving ourselves, of self-improvement. God's simple reminder for us in Psalm 139 is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, uh, that you are good, and you are good because God has imparted himself upon you. You have been redeemed, you have been renewed, you have been made new in his image, and you carry the spirit. And we live in the chaos. And our job in the chaos is to go out and be fishers of men. It is to be light in the darkness. It is to go and breathe peace where there is chaos. It is to go and breathe life where there is death. And it's to do that in the most profound ways. It's to do that in the biggest ways in which we can think of. And it's to do that in the smallest little moments that we get gifted. And all of this comes down to the simple idea of faith. Who we are is really simply made up of people of faith. Our identity is completely surrounded and encapsulated in this idea that we are sons and daughters of God. And if we choose to believe that by faith, it will radically transform every single detail and aspect of our lives. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Father, I want to thank you for your authority. I want to thank you for your love and your kindness. Father, I want to thank you for the love in which uh, you have for this world, the love that you have for your people, the love that you have for the broken, for the marginalized, for the poor, for the suffering. Father, I want to pray that you would help us to have your heart. I want to pray that we would be a people whose identity is just found so solely and deeply in you. Father, we would not be looking to the chaos to find our fulfillment. We would not be looking to the chaos to find recognition. We would not be looking to the chaos to find purpose because every time we do that, we leave empty. Father, I want to pray that you would help us, that you would remind us, that you would meet us where we're at and you would point us back in your direction. Father, I want to pray that you would just be breathing life into us. And as you do that, Father, I thank you that you call us to go into the chaos and to breathe life, to reflect your your glory, to reflect your life, to reflect your light in the world in which we live. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done on the cross. We thank you that you um, you rose again. We thank you that your spirit is with us. 
So help us to be a people who praise you, who are just really deeply, honestly thankful um, because we know where we come from and we know who you are. In your name, amen.